I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers who have been in the field for well over 25 years. Through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge and our challenges. And our foibles and lots of stories, lots of great stories. Anything to help you and your families create an unbelievably wonderful environment. Absolutely. Now, speaking of challenges, there are challenges that um, are affecting all of us here in Northern California, and that is drought and heat. And, uh, you know, it's, it's part of California, but I think each year it gets worse. We pray that we won't have fires this year. But Michael and I would like to talk about, um, we've talked about drought-tolerant landscaping, but we want to talk about drip irrigation. And alternatives. And, and um, a lot of you, I mean, if you're back east, it rains all the time. Like my sister used to live in Wisconsin and all summer long, she would get rain. So she never, and when, when I went to visit her and I go, oh, what kind of irrigation system do you have? And she goes, uh, what do you mean? And I said, well, what kind of sprinklers? She goes, we don't have any because all summer long it rains. And now she's in North Carolina and the same thing during the summertime, it rains, but we're in California and it's not raining. <laughs> It not only is it not raining, but we got near to nothing. I mean, so little over the winter that I don't even know if there's a calculation for it. Um, so we want to talk about drip irrigation. Now, there are sprinklers that are low flow, but we're not going to talk about those right now. Because um, anytime you have a sprinkler low full flow or not in this kind of climate where it gets up into 115, there's a huge amount of evaporation. And uh, so drip, the whole idea behind drip irrigation, and this has been used in Israel and the Middle East for many, many years. They can't, they don't have the water. In fact, they now have desalination plants. But um, the trick is to deeply water the roots of the plant, not sprinkle the whole entire area. Right? Right. And one, there, there is a form of this. And we'll talk about all different types, but it's called netifin. And what that is, is for layman's terms, it's like a leaky pipe where you actually put a pipe that has holes in it. It's a, it's a tube that has holes all the way through it. It's wrapped in a fabric so that it doesn't all clog up. And what it does is it broadcasts under the surface water so that it gets right to the root system. And it's probably the most efficient way of watering, say, for example, ground covers, um, and mass plantings rather than putting an emitter, a little drip tube on each plant is the netifin. And it, it's really pretty amazing system. It is amazing. The holes in the tubes are actually drip emitters. So it does regulate the water <clears throat> and you can buy uh, netifin systems that have different flow rates as well. Right. right. And, um, we also use it on job sites to circle old existing trees. So if you're putting in a new landscape and let's say you had sod around it, that tree, which most likely has roots on the surface because lawns get watered in short intervals, so the roots stay surface. However, when you take that water away, that tree needs more water than the new plants coming in. Thus, we usually circle it a few times with the Netifim. Now, Netifim is, is a brand name. I also call it a laser drip tube. So don't worry if you can't find 
Netafim. It's Netafim, right. Exactly. Yeah. The, the things that you have to be real careful about is, for example, um, if you're going to put it into a lawn area, you know, let's say you have some existing lawn and you, you can't give it up, you want it and you use that. A lot of times they do aeration of the lawn, which means they put a machine in there that punches holes into the older grass area. And the, the reason for that is because grass develops a thatch. It would be like a very thick carpet where when you do water it, the water doesn't percolate down through the roots. So what they'll do is they'll come in and they'll aerate it. What you've got to be real careful is if the netafin or the, the laser pipe um, you know, with the holes in it is too close to the surface and they aerate it, you're going to pop holes in all of your tubing. Yeah, you have to be careful. Aerating, in case you don't know, um, looks like there's dog poop all over the place. <laughs> it's not. Right. They're, they're plugs of soil that are now on the surface. And it is important because lawns tend to deliver, uh, develop very thatched root systems underneath and then they don't look so good, so they need air. But um, whenever... Whenever you're going to dig, if you have a drip system and um, or the Netafim system, you're, it's a heartache if you're going to dig and cut into your line. So I, what I have, I have what looks like a, well, it's not a fishing tackle box, but you could get them at Home Depot. You know those plastic boxes that um, have, you know, little sections that you could put in. I, I have one of those with my drip plugs, my drip emitters in different gallon per hour size. I have my my little yellow poker that drips whole, you know, that pokes whole. So anyway, if you have any kind of drip system or you're putting one in, consider building your own little um, repair kit. You'll need it. Right. Absolutely. And see the, the, the whole idea, and it's a little different. Um, I spent a lot of time in Israel. In fact, I, I spent about a month on a kibbutz where we actually planted avocado trees and did the irrigation. And what they use there, which is wonderful, is they use a drip spray head, which per, per each avocado tree, they have a little stake and then it has a little spray head so that you actually can see the water hitting the tree and the, and the plant and everything. And it's great because one of the biggest complaints that I get from clients about drip irrigation is, is that the, you have little teeny emitters that go to each one of the plants and that's right down at the root zone. But you have this panacea that it's a uh, panacea that everything is being taken care of. The biggest problem with sometimes, even though you have a filter system is, is that the drip emitters clog up. You go on vacation thinking everything's being watered. You come home, there's been a drought, there's been a, a heat spell and a big bed of your plants are dead. And you're thinking, Oh my God, I've got a disease. Well, it isn't. It's because the drip tubes have clogged up. So yeah, um, one of the nice things about using the drip spray is number one, you can use it on, on areas where you have more plants like ground cover areas. Uh, and number two, you can actually see these emitters if they clog up because you won't see the spray coming out of them whereas the individual emitters at the plants are great and they don't waste water but unless you check to make sure they're not clogged up you're under the impression it's being watered and and your plant may not get any water right i usually turn everything on in the spring to check if there's you know if a head's popped off or whatever but um the little drip sprays that come in small spikes tall spikes um quarter quarter round of watering, half round, full round of watering, all that's available. And if you planted ground cover, and let's say, you know, my garden, I've had my garden going for 20 years and or over 20 years. And 
you know, I've added things. So to put in a Netafin system would mean I have to dig everything up and put that in. Instead, exactly. yeah, instead I have ground cover. So I put the little drip spikes in and that sprays uh, overhead because many ground covers, they run along the ground and drop roots. They're not just one, one root uh, system. And that's a really good system. And in fact, one manufacturer, Rainbird, actually perfected that. Um, it's my, it's one of my more favorite. I also use those when I'm doing um, potted plants. I'll do a, either a spray or a bubbler, but an adjustable bubbler, um, drip bubbler, so that you can actually see if you can imagine. It's like a little umbrella Mm -hmm. um, and the water comes out of it and you can turn it up or turn it down. But again, you can actually see when you turn on the system, you can see the water flowing out of it. So you're not lulled into this thing that it's getting watered, but it really isn't. The other thing is, you know, and, and the good and the bad, I mean, drip systems are one of the most efficient ways of watering. Um, there are some downsides and I mentioned that earlier that they clog up. And another downside is if you're in a rural area where there's a lot of animal life and there, especially voles and moles and things that are digging, they because it's not, not a thick walled pipe, it basically is like a tube. They can just cut right through it with their claws. They can bite right through it. And um, again, you're thinking everything's being watered and you just have a big a break in the whole system. Yeah, wait a minute. That's not just wild animals. If you have digging dogs, <laughs> dogs that chew, that love rubber toys, they yes, yes. can chew those lines. But there are pop-up drips as well. So um, you should check your local, um, like a drip irrigation or material store. We have them here, United Greenmark. Um, uh, we have all different kinds of stores. Let's, let's see, Site 1 is another one. Yeah, and yeah is one I use quite often. So most people will go to Home Depot or they'll go to an Ace Hardware and they do have a lot of supplies. However, there are even more available if you go to an irrigation supply house who are happy to sell you product. They're going to sell it to you retail just like the store. But, um, you know, then you could buy big packs of steaks. Now let's talk about steaks. Steaks are metal, long U-shape. And if you're going to put in a drip system, remember, the pressure of that water when it gets in there that hose the big main hose which is either five eighths inch or half inch is going to pop up right it's got right. pressure and you need to stake it down and these stakes are what holds it in place or if you're running a drip line to a plant that's maybe three feet away i know my gardeners if with that high blower they'll they'll blow the you know they'll blow it right off the plant so i stake everything down um that way i know the plant is getting what it needs and the drip line wasn't blown you know to high heaven right which is really important and it's funny because i just last weekend um i went up to my uh, my in-laws and they live in marin county and i had bought them before a, an australian tea tree because my father-in-law loves them the bright red ones and what Melaleuca, is that what you bought? Uh, leptospermum. Um, leptospermum. The leptospermum, yeah. Oh. Um, and it's the Australian tea tree. And it's beautiful when it blooms. And it also is drought tolerant. Put it in there and then he has a gardening service that comes around and hooks up the drip irrigation. And it's been about a month, month and a half since I've been there. And we came in and it was deader than a doornail. I mean, it's just dead. So I bought him a new one and I plant, this time I planted it. And when I dug the system up, when I dug the old one up, the roots were dry as a bone. And the reason was, was when they were planting it, they sliced right through the drip tube that the main line 
cut it straight through. And I was noticing a lot of the plants, the older plants in the beds were starting to look really, really, really sad, um, drop, dropping leaves, turning yellow, looking really, you know, kind of on the verge of dying. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, it was because they had, they literally sliced through the main line, didn't bother to notice it, didn't try the system, planted the tea tree and then backfilled it. And that's the last, last time it got any water. So of course it died. Right. Right. You know, I just went back to a client. They called me after, I forgot how many years ago we did it. And, um, and they're both working professionals and uh, a lot of shade in this little courtyard in uh, the downtown area. And they said, you know, everything died from neglect. And they were out of town and I went there and I took a look. Well, first of all, everything is on a drip system and everything was dead. And I thought, what the hell? And then I realized that here, here's the thing. If you have a drip system, the seasons change and you yes. adjust your clock so yes. yeah if you're watering every three days which here you know that's generally what you do with drip and it's on for 10 minutes i'm sorry it's gonna die when it's over 100 or even in the high 90s you Absolutely. have to, yeah you have to adjust your clock according to the seasons and the heat and the dry and what what roberta is saying is so true you know what you know and, and let's be real honest it's called um you have to be actively taking care of your yard no matter whether you have a service or not you can't just automatically assume that the yard's going to take care of itself so in the winter time you're not supposed to be running your irrigation if you're getting uh, if you're actually getting rain if we actually had rain what is um, that and you're, is it rain yeah yeah that thing called that that thing that comes out of the sky, supposedly. <laughs> the other thing is exactly what Roberta said. I mean, a drip system once every three days for 10 minutes, that, I mean, you can only imagine that would be like spitting in a dry, uh, spitting literally in the air. It's not going to do anything because they're putting out one, some of these emitters, one gallon of water per hour. If you're only watering, that's one gallon per, per hour. Right. Not per minute, but per hour. So if you're watering for 10 minutes and literally it's a little teeny drip of water, you can imagine and you're putting it on a plant that's in soil that is bone dry, that 10 minutes is going to, it's going to be nothing. It's, it's not going to do anything. It's one tenth of a gallon. And then let's add wind because we've had hot, dry winds. That will suck the moisture out of the soil as well. Yes, Absolutely. So, it's so really I mean, and that's one of the things that I tell people. That's a real important thing. Is okay, and I know we're 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 trying to save water or anything. But if you've watered and you've got a drip system, and and it's Monday, and Monday it watered, and it's and everything's fine, and then Monday afternoon the wind comes up, and you get six, seven hours of 30, 35 mile an hour winds that are just basically what that's going to do is it's going to take all the moisture, not only from the soil, but from the, from the plant, suck out any, it's called translocation. It's going to suck out all that moisture out of the plant. And basically that plant is going to go into wilting shock. So even if, and I don't say that you do it all on a regular basis, but even if you've watered on Monday and there's a big wind, the next day or that Monday night, you turn back on that drip irrigation and water again because all that watering you did in the morning with a 35 mile an hour wind that's lasted three, four, five hours, 
it, it, it's, you might as well have not even turned on the sprinklers because all the water would have been sucked away. That's right. Now, uh, there are what's called smart clocks. So let's talk a little bit about that. So there's a varying degree of different smart clocks. And I say that um, in quotations because these clocks, some of them are connected to satellite uh, yes. web stations. Yes. Yes. And they will adjust the water accordingly. They're more expensive and they're hella difficult to configure. But once you've got it set up, they'll do that. They'll regulate. I have um, a fairly new Hunter uh, system. I used uh, Rainbird for all my drip. But the Hunter clock, um, and maybe Rainbird has this too, but it has an app that allows me to adjust my time on my phone, my cell phone. Yes. And it's called, I bet your system, it's a Hunter HydraWise. Uh-huh, it's HydraWise. And I love, you don't have, so I used to climb through the, mis- the you know, the mosquito, not the mosquito, the um, spider webs, you know, to yep. get my clock. Yeah. You have to adjust it. Now it's as easy as opening the app, going to each station, which you program so you could name, you could even have a picture of that part of the garden. On your phone. On your phone and adjust the watering. And there's a place where you can click um, where it'll automatically adjust for hot weather or rain. Which is a super, I have the same system. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So it's supposed to water and all of a sudden we get a freak storm, whatever that is, and it's supposed to rain and, and it is tied into three weather stations, weather channels, and what basically, or satellites. And so if say it's supposed to water on Tuesday and Tuesday, it looks like it's going to rain, the system will automatically shut off and you will not have a rainstorm going and all of a sudden your sprinklers go on. And you're absolutely right. And then, for example, my system, we'll water like three times a week or two times a week and say it's a, um, a station, one area will water for 20 minutes. But the weather channel says, or the weather weather um, uh, uh, module says, it's going to be 105. The clock will automatically readjust and instead of watering for 20 minutes, it'll water for 25 minutes or 30, or 30 so that you get extra water on there because the plants are used to 80, 85, 90. They're not used to 105 degree temperature. It's an amazing, amazing. I don't care if it's more expensive, but I will tell you, it'll save you water. It'll save you time. It is the best, it, it'd be the best recommendation I can make. Yeah. And. When we talk about expense, we're not talking thousands of dollars. We're talking a few hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah. So we're not, you know, it's nothing like totally overboard, but it's something that if you are out of town, you can adjust from where, if you are international, you can still adjust your watering system. Right. And in today's market with, um, with, places, especially in California, but not only in California, other places where they're starting to charge big bucks for water and uh, you're on water and in areas where you never had water meters and suddenly you are having a water meter. So every every time you water, you're being charged for that. You don't want to be wasting water when it's raining. You don't want to be wasting water when it's 40 degrees out. I mean, there are times when you don't want the water going and using something like a smart clock will save you a lot of grief and aggravation and a lot of money in in return. It will. And, um, you know, this doesn't mean an end to lawn. So um, like we were talking about, the Netafim system, which is uh, below grade or below your sod or below your plants, 
there's no evaporation. And there are different types of sods now that that take 50% less water. That, I mean, we know about, well, we have spoken about Corapia, which is yes. K-U-R, um, A-P-I-A, and that's a broadleaf. And that is more expensive. But there are also regular lawns, Delta Bluegrass has yes. varieties, um, that take less water. So you, you really can have your cake and eat it too. But if you put in an irrigation system that is below grade, you're going to be saving all that evaporation. So you could still have lawn. It doesn't mean it's the end of it, at least not now. It might be, depending on the last big drought we had uh, lasted seven years. So, And you may wind up just using a lawn in an area where you're going to have a play area. Right. You know, going to be um, and not in areas areas where you just need the green look. There are lots of ground covers, as we've talked about before, that'll give you the green look, low, low maintenance, that'll give you the effect without, and you're not, and you don't use it anyway to play on, you don't use it to sit on, so you just want this wonderful green carpet. There are better solutions than lawn and a lot less water usage than using a lawn, and then you just restrict your lawn to areas where you're going to want to sit on or play on, especially playing on um, makes more sense. And, you know, so many of the communities, in, at, least, at least here in Sacramento, there's so many production communities, and I believe that when they build a certain number of homes, they have to put in parks. And um, consider using the park for your green area, and that way you can keep your water bill down, and you could be, you know, more conscientious about conservation. I agree. I agree completely. And it's funny because it kind of gets gets to me is I live in Davis, which is a small suburb um, out of Sacramento, and it's more, uh, more going west towards the Bay Area. And the thing that bothers me is they're trying to be very water conscious and very um, um, ecological and everything. But you go through um, some of the, the parks as well as the green belts, and the city maintains them, and they've got irrigation watering the bark. Is watering it? the concrete, I watering. I mean, it, it, I'm sorry, but it absolutely teased me off when I'm being asked to, to restrict the amount of water I use. And yet I walk down a six mile bike path and the majority of the water early in the morning is watering the bike path or is watering bark that there's not one plant around and it's just running into the street and you're going, um, you're telling me I've got to restrict my water use. I understand that. And yet you're wasting water on sidewalk and bark. I mean, what sense does that make? This Here's what's important. We have to take it as homeowners into our own hands. And that's just the way it works. Because the population of humanity um, far outnumbers the uh, state employees. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> So um, if you act locally, which means in your own yard, um, it will affect the global um, view of it as well. So, you know, these these institutions just have to get with it. But what we could do is massive. I would say I've been doing drought tolerant landscaping for oh, from 2006 on and we have literally saved billions of gallons of water and that's not difficult to do because if you're watering a large patch of lawn every day twice every, a day you're using millions of gallons of water a year <laughs> so right, right. and that isn't you know people will argue with you it's a little different story 
Um, but isn't that water going back into the aquifers? Some of it is, but a lot of it, see, a lot of it winds up going. It's a different story. Is That's where the netifin comes in. That's where um, smart watering comes in. If you're watering something, you know, your garden, and the water seeps down into the soil and eventually seeps down to, to refill the aquifers, that's different. But if you're watering so much that the water is going into the gutter and the gutter is then going into um, your the, the drainage easement, which is then eventually sending it out to the oceans and it's going, it's not going into the earth, it's being wasted, then it's a whole different story. So it's a matter of where's the water going? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that's interesting that you bring that up because for five years, um, and years ago, I did my pro bono work was for Habitat for Humanity. And in Sacramento, I designed the new build homes. And they were LEED certified, which is leadership and energy efficiency and energy design. And we got points for different ways we could be more uh, sustainable. So one of the points I got was for instead of attaching your gutters and running them all the way down to the sidewalk where in a big rain, it pops up over the sidewalk and pretty soon there's green moss growing. I right. It midway in the landscape and that way and you could even put it into a dry cobble stream it would penetrate and permeate into the into the soil so if you still have your gutters attached to a line that's bringing it all the way to the sidewalk you're losing that water that water could be used for your own irrigation that's very true no and 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 again um it's funny because cities are planned supposedly by planners that are trying to are, should be taking these things into consideration but they don't and so what happens exactly they'll run they'll run drainage so it dribbles over the sidewalk the sidewalk gets all green and gummy and um but it's not your sidewalk it's a public uh, it's 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 owned by the city or the county that you live in. And if someone trips and falls on that green slime, they sue you. They don't sue the county, but you're, it's illegal for you to jackhammer that up and reroute the drainage lines, especially if they um, if it's public land. So it's it's kind of a catch 22 and it becomes very frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating. That's why you have to do what you can in your own landscape. And um, it's important. And for our city, more and more, there are very strict guidelines. I mean, I don't even like doing new build anymore because of the hoops you have to jump through. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent. Oh, my God. You have to calculate every drip head and so on and so forth. So. And they give you and plants and, and low water. Oh, exactly. You have to use certain plants. So forget about designing what you want. You're going to design what is called for. Now, I get it. I get that, um, you know, they want to be more sustainable and so on. Um but there are a lot of alternatives that you could use. Carapia is also known as one of their listed um, on the wool call list, um, water-wise plants. So carapia is a broadleaf type of sod. It can't take heavy traffic. So don't put it in and think you could play a badminton right, right. on it. You know, it's for your green belt. But it is 60% less water than a normal lawn. And if you irrigate it via netathim, you'll pass those um, permitting, um, I don't want to say Nazis, but anyway. <laughs> no, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And not only that, but the one thing that I found is, and I love this stuff, it's great for full sun. It does, even though the manufacturer says it can grow in the filtered sunlight, 
doesn't. It does terribly it in the shade. It doesn't do as well. But, you know, speaking of that, we recently put it into a yard and I always do a final walkthrough. And I looked at it and some is growing and some is getting brown. I said, what? How much? How many times? What is the irrigation on this? They said, oh, the contractor set it at first for 40 minutes every day. Then the other, the lead contractor came and bumped it down to 20 minutes every day. And I said, no, no, you put it on for five minutes twice, one at midnight, one at 4 a.m. Don't overwater it. That's why it's turning brown. It's drought tolerant. So Exactly. Yeah, there are a lot of plants, you know, and one of the things that, that is really deceiving is lavender. Lavender is a wonderful plant and it's extremely drought tolerant. But I will tell you, you give it too much water, it rots. It just literally ups. It, it, one minute it's doing great. You give it too much water and then the thing just croaks. And That's when you discover it, it's just rotted out. So it's, it's, it's yeah. a fine line. You have to be real careful. Yes, the first two weeks, you can't overwater anything for the first two weeks. Exactly. But after that, you have to cut back the water. And there's there's the mistake that people make is they they say, oh, it's drought tolerant. So they put it in the ground the first day, they water it. Second day, they water it. And then they go, well, it's drought tolerant. I don't even have to worry about it. But you have to remember, a plant that's coming from the nursery Every single day it's sitting in a pot or a container. It gets watered every single day at the nursery. Not now you're taking drugs, right? right? It's got high fertilizers going in there. Exactly. Now you're taking it out and you're putting it like at this time of the year where everything is dry as a bone. You're putting it into soil and you water it. The first time you water it, all that water is just going into the surrounding soil. Um, the second time you water it, it's just going into the surrounding soil because everything is so dry. So if you stop watering it there, that plant is going to just turn over and die because it's just going to shrivel and wilt. But yeah. if you, for the next two weeks, keep the soil moist, and then it can the roots can start growing out into the surrounding soil, then you can start cutting back the water. But that's one of the biggest mistakes. They hear that it's drought tolerant and they stop watering. Right, exactly. Well, you know, you're, when you transplant, it's like you've got a new baby. And um, you don't want to overwater it and you don't want to underwater it. But exactly. for the first three weeks, it needs pretty steady, moist watering. And then not overwatering, not flooding it, but just steady. And after three weeks, you could start to cut it down. So um, I find the mistake with my clients, actually, I, I now print out a sheet, is that they think once the water's set, that's it. They never have to look at the clock again. Exactly. <laughs> and and the seasons change. And the sad thing is, and I know you go through this, even though you give them a sheet, I give them a video. Um, of what to do and and even though you give it to them they watch it and then it goes right out their mind and they go and then you go they com complain or they'll say something about why the plants are looking terrible and you'll ask them point blank well what's the watering schedule well i don't know well, the contractor said it well didn't you double check it no i was just relying on them well didn't you watch the video yeah but it said to water in the beginning for the first two weeks well yeah and didn't what after didn't you hear what it said afterwards so it's funny because as much as we try to instruct and we try to tell clients and we even give them handouts we give them videos mm -hmm. um sometimes people will do what they want to do and that and then they call us when it doesn't look the way it should or they do nothing and then or they do nothing and then why are you calling us we did not install that system right <laughs> I, and I'm wearing, and a year later, and we're not maintaining the system. Exactly. It's like I asked my clients, they called and I said, Have you called the contractor? No. I said, 
that's who you need to call. <laughs> right, right. I was going to say it gets so frustrating. It does. You know, this this is basically this is why Michael and I are doing Digging Deep. Um, yeah this podcast because we're here to educate and we're here to educate because this is what happens in daily life. And the more you can educate yourself, doesn't mean you have to put in your whole system, but it means you need to know about the maintenance of this system. It's nature. Nature is not static. It's changing. The weather changes. The heat comes, the heat goes, the rain comes, the rain goes, the snow comes. And each time you have to prepare for that. This is a living substance in the front back sides of your yard so um this is why we're here talking about something is uninteresting to mainly a lot of people but interesting to gardeners as drip irrigation absolutely it's so funny you'd say that because it's true and the one thing the one joke that we always get is uh we'll do a consultation we'll go out there and people the first thing they say is i want a low maintenance yard start laughing and we go you know what? In the summer, in the 30, 40 years that I've been doing this, no one has ever asked me for a high maintenance yard. You know no what? Else, yeah. I say the same exact thing. It's like no one says to me, I want to be a slave to my garden. I want to be <laughs> chained to my garden. No one says that. Everyone yeah. wants low maintenance. But, you know, let's be real honest. Low maintenance, if you don't want to do anything in the yard, it's called pave it and paint it green and then silk or straw flowers. Because the truth is, as, as Roberta said, they're living, breathing things that are going to grow. They're going to be affected. And you have to be a steward of your own yard. You, you do. And not only that, when you do learn and you do become a steward, you the joy will increase a hundredfold because as you interact with nature and Nature will interact with you, and it can only bring health, peace, and joy. So, um, yeah, so there we are. So here we are, digging deep. I'm Roberta Walker. I'm Michael Glassman. And, of course, you've been listening to us, and it's all about digging deep. Thanks for joining us.